Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back. We are checking in on some Americans abroad and check out this goal from John Brooks over the weekend for Hoffenheim in a 3-1 win. Against his former team. Against his former Mm -hmm. team. You love to see it. Uh, We've got some Americans that were scoring a lot of goals this weekend, as we saw John Brooks. Tim Ream at him to the list. Malik Tillman with a goal. And Sam Vines uh, with a goal for Royal Antwerp. We also had Matt Turner uh, with his first clean sheet, his first Premier League clean sheet. So well done to Matty Turner. Love to see it. Let's uh, let's chat about Sam Vines, um, who's playing for Royal Antwerp right now in Belgium. He had a goal this weekend and he's one of these players Charlie that like his name is he's he's always kind of in and around the conversation of the US men's national team um, do you see him as eventually being a regular part Jesus he took it well he has the potential <laughs> to be cuz cuz uh, he's he's a left back and we saw in major league soccer while he was playing with the Colorado Rapids just his ability to get up because he has the quickness and, and the pace, and he's got a, a great left foot, as you can see here. But defensively, he, he needs to improve, um, especially at the international level, being a little bit stronger, having the ability to 1v1 defend, because you, you get isolated in the international game quite often as a left back. So can, can he defend? I think that's where he needs to improve. And Europe, going to Royal Antwerp, that's where you're expected to develop. That's why you get pushed to play in these leagues. And he's, he's getting to play in European competition. He played in the second leg he started for Ike, uh, against Ike Athens when they got the win because uh, in the first leg, the left back had a red card. So he's taking progress. He's taking steps forward. But um, he, he came off with an injury just shortly after he scored in, in this first game against Union saint Hopefully he That name will not leave us this Healthy. And honestly... When there's a certain player that you say, okay, this is MLS caliber, he could be MLS journeyman, or he could be that stalwart for Colorado Rapids, or make a move to a, a team that can compete even more, like, I don't know, just I'm throwing out names out there, like an LAFC, or um, it doesn't matter. Um, Inter-Miami. Oh, okay, Inter-Miami. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he, he looks like a player, to, oh, the, especially the... to be uh, in, in front of a fan base that knows him, that will recognize him. There's a risk you take when you go to Europe and not to a necessarily top-tier league like Belgium, where they do develop a lot of talent, but you could not be winning, your team cannot be playing well, but he has managed to find time, find minutes, have an impact. And look at Royal Antwerp. They're in the Champions League. They're going to be playing against Barcelona. They're going to be playing against Shakhtar Donetsk and Porto in their group. They're going to be first-timed uh, minus in, in the Champions League, but hey, it... it gives them a nice 
little microscope for the rest of the world to, to watch them play. And this is how football kind of works. You get your one shot of fame, somebody sees you. His little window of opportunity came in the Europa League against Union Berlin. And that's what made it, gave him his move. And hopefully, Sammy Vines has an impact. Sammy? I, I don't know. Sammy? Yeah, Sammy Vines. Uh, no, that's what Sammy? they call it. Nickname Colorado Rapids. <laughs> you, know, you know who you just call him Sammy Vines? From, I heard that from, from Marcelo Balboa. Who does a lot of the Colorado okay. Rapids games? I heard Sammy Vines, Sammy Vines, and it just he got stuck give you in my head. Yeah. If he gives you, if he gave me a nickname, it's my nickname. It's yeah, Marcelo Balboa. But, <laughs> but this is what we ask of American players. Charlie said it, right? You got to yeah, go and test yourself. 100%. Go to Europe, test yourself. If you look at his heat map, granted it's 57 minutes worth, but it, you know his heat map is like very directly on that sort of halfway line. He's very forward, very up. So how does that look for a potential for him to play on the U.S. Men's National Team? Hey, he's an advanced, you know, attacking sort of uh, left back. That. Seems like it kind of fits into what Berhalter might want. So it's a little bit of excitement. He got snubbed right from this call-up, and the fact that he scores a goal right afterwards, I just said. It's a it's a nice little. It, it speaks well. He's for, for Christopher Lund. For, yes. Yeah, for someone who had never played in the national. Exactly. Before. Hey, dual exactly. national though. Yeah. As an opportunity to make a switch from Denmark to uh, the U.S., you got to take that shot. And he was being looked at by some big teams. Also being mm -hmm. looked at by uh, St. Louis early on, by Lutz mm. Schwanensteel, who discovered, you know, Roberto Firmino. So clearly he has an eye for cool. talent. Yeah, have you heard of him? No, <laughs> Bobby Firmino. Oh, no, 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 the guy yes. who discovered him. Lutz Schwanensteel. He's uh, used to be, he's literally, he's played he's for every, every He's continent. played in every continent. Wow. He yeah. was the assistant for the Cuban national team. And he has some wild stories about that after a big loss. Yeah, he's a, he's uh, which I cannot guy. repeat on live TV. But, um, it's a, yeah, he's an extremely uh, fascinating guy. Met him when he was over at Dusseldorf. He's He pretty much led uh, the um, St. Louis uh, City's entire sort of build-up. It's has, absolutely he incredible. Has constructed, incredible. He's constructed that entire St. Louis City team from, from start to finish. And he started very, very, very yeah, early. Yeah, he really had well. a very clear vision of what he wanted for that team. But he is a guy that has crazy amount of experience um, across the globe. And so it's a, yeah, he's a he's one of the most interesting. He discovered yeah. Bobby Firmino at Hoffenheim, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he brought him to Hoffenheim. Right. He, um, I had a conversation with him a long time ago when before St. Louis even had their logo or anything. And he said, we want to be a club that, we don't want to get the big names, we want to get mm -hmm. hard workers. And I was like, bro, are you crazy? Have you seen what MLS is doing these they days? They signed a DP goalkeeper. Yeah, I was like, you can't go out and get hard workers, bro. I'm like, you need big names. And he's like, no, we're going to win this way. I'm like, bro, you ain't going to win nothing. I was just clear. I was messing with him, and he was having fun. We were having a great time in the conversation. And I clearly, I mean, I he DM'd me after, uh, or we had a conversation after the first four wins. I'm like, bro, you were right. He's like, told you wow. so. He's a, he's a really interesting guy, really funny guy. But uh, you see, he's able to find those talents that, that oftentimes get overlooked, and Christopher Lund is one of them. So hopefully there's an opportunity. Christopher Lund, tall, fast, aggressive. What did he say? He's, a, he's fast, fighter, and happy. Those are the three words he used when they asked him, what do you, tell me about yourself as a defender. Happy's not a, a word you no, typically associate with a defender. I wouldn't associate that with a defender. How except, many defenders you know when you played that were happy? Does he? <laughs> not many. Yeah. Especially because you were there. Yeah, not many. <laughs> he plays for Copen Copenhagen? Is he he used to play he for BK Hacken, and he just got the move to FC Copenhagen. Okay, so, I well, I mean, I might be happy if I'm playing in Copenhagen as well. I've heard it's a delightful yeah. city. You were just yeah, there. Yeah, you just should there. know. Yeah. I was the great. loudest person in Copenhagen. I believe that. I think you're the loudest person anywhere Everywhere. you go. Anywhere you go. Uh, Charlie, I want to ask about the, the Belgian League and 
specifically because I feel like we see a lot of young American players go there to kind of, you know, just get that get that European experience. Why do you think that's a that's a good landing spot for some young US talent? It's similar to the reason why I went to Scandinavia to Hammerby and Elsvenskan because it's a it's a feeder league and it's the Belgian league is even a bigger league than than the Elsvenskan of of Sweden. So the reason why you go to Belgium is because you're in the shop window. Now clubs are watching you play, the scouts are, are filling the seats in all right. the, the Belgian league si sides just because they have a lot of talent and it's a lot of raw talent. And there's also uh, the ability that these clubs will sell. It's a selling league, like Major League Soccer. Right. There's no one there that's saying, we're not selling. You know, you get to- They want to the hopes, have a great ROI. The, the hopes is that you get to go to play for an Anderlecht, a club Bruges. Um, now, uh, 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 Henk. Mm -hmm. was where Mark McKenzie is. Uh, now Royal Antwerp, because you typically won or two get to play in a champ uh, one in the Champions League and then one in the Europa League, and that's where you can really take that massive jump. But it's a league that is, has a lot of quality in it, and so therefore, if you can go there for Major League Soccer, it's not a huge jump. You're not going from I think from Major Colorado League Rapids to the Belgian yeah. to a, a but you're top not going Belgian to, team playing Champions League. You're not going to the English Premier League, right? And, right. Or yeah, a league it's, a, it's a middle yeah. step. It's, yeah. it's a good step. But like and, you said, it's a shop window. It's like you go there to be seen. Mm -hmm. Quick correction: He uh, Loon didn't go to uh, Copenhagen. He went to Palermo and Serie B. Yeah. But when when you're playing there, how much is it about you know trying to get individual accolades in some of these clubs, trying to show off? individually versus help the team win and knowing that that's going to get you maybe even more shine. How hard is it to find that balance when you go to some of these leagues? Well, they go hand in hand. I think m most importantly is development. You want to continue to develop. And in the Belgian league, it's, it's mostly young players. So you're going there because you're going to get the opportunity to play. And from their point of view, it's, it's business, re return on investment. They go out and spend, but the idea is we're going to play you because we, we see that you can develop, and then we're going to sell you for a, a large fee. That's the idea. So, yes, you want to be on the better teams because you're going to be competing in Europe. So it's the caveat is, yeah, I get to play in the league and develop, but I'm also getting to play against better competition in Europe, and that's also going to give you a, a better uh, chance to get sold to a, a bigger club. Look at Bruges, for example, what mm -hmm. they did in Champions League recently in, in a great group stage with the likes of Noah Lang, for example, now made a move to, to the Netherlands, to a top team in the Netherlands. You could be a surprise team. And the team to beat, if you can, if you can take out Shakhtar, right? That's like your first opposition. I don't think you're going to be better than Barcelona in that group. But then maybe surprise Porto going to be extremely difficult to surprise a team with the experience in Champions League like Porto. But... Just stir the pot a little bit, and, and maybe that Look shop window. Ivan, Ivan Perisic played for Sochaux when I was there. Couldn't, pl couldn't play, couldn't break into the team. And he went to Club Bruges. Hmm. Turned out to be one of the top goal scorers in Bruges, and then got his move mm -hmm. to Dortmund. So that gives you an idea of, of what this league can, can help do for you wow. in your development. Great explanation, Charlie Davies. Um, all right, guys, we are going to take a break. Christina Uncle is gonna join the show when we return. Apparently there were some uh, controversial calls maybe over the weekend. Uh, just a couple. Just a few. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in after a quick timeout.
morning, Footy. We are just four match days into the Premier League season, and uh, we've had some controversies on the field um, in terms of some calls that were made, including um, a few that we saw over the weekend. So that makes it a perfect time to bring in our resident refereeing expert, Christina Uncle. Christina, it is always such a pleasure to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And before I never had to cover Premier League, I always said I was grateful for it because of the referee decisions. But now we're covering them. So let's get into it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's let's chat about um, Fulham suffered a 5-1 defeat to City. And in this goal or in this game, there was a goal from Nathan Ake where it appeared that Akanji was offside and obstructing. Um what are your thoughts on this and the, the, the call that was ultimately made on the field, which was that the goal was good? Yeah, so as you can see, Akanji's right there on the top of the six, going through his legs, he's jumping through it. Collectively, this is all agreed that this was a missed incident in the sense that mm -hmm. this should have been recommended down for offside and therefore the goal taken away. He's he's uh, offside with interfering with an opponent when we talk about line of vision. The part I really want to focus on because collectively everyone agrees it should have been offside and the VAR should have recommended it down. But as most importantly is that the referees on the field should have gotten this decision correctly. Michael Oliver and his assistant referee and here's why. And these types of decisions when we're talking about offsides interfering with an opponent there are two parts of the pieces of the puzzle we need. First the assistant referee can see that he's in an offside position and can appreciate how close he is to the to the goalkeeper. The second part that the AR needs is what Michael Oliver has, and he has clear vision of it, is to see whether or not Anaki is right in front of the goalkeeper and is actually having that. So we're talking about distance and depth. So this decision should have been decided on the field even before it got to VAR. VAR should have just been that safety blanket, and unfortunately that safety blanket didn't exist. So collectively, unfortunately, the decision was incorrect and should have been determined by the referees nice. on the field. And then there was a double error with the VAR. Christina, I, I'm always of the the ilk where if a, if a player is not right in front of the keeper and blocking the line of vision, that player could still he alter, impact the, impact the goalie in terms of, of, of your reaction because you could see in that play, yes, he can see the ball clearly in my opinion. Kanji's not blocking his vision. But because Akanji's there, the keeper has to hesitate just a slight second. So you are impacting the play even though you aren't directly in front of the keeper. I believe it's Nathan Ake. Nathan Ake? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Charlie, you hit that, right? It's not necessarily fully line of vision here, meaning you can't see the ball. To your point, and anyone who's played keeper and or can appreciate a keeper's uh, ability, right, is you're sitting there and you're anticipating that that player who's right there, who's basically within the intervention line, might play that ball. So therefore, you're kind of frozen as a keeper. And that's what we talk about interference and impacting that goalkeeper. Christina, so what are the conversations going on in the VAR booth for that not to go from Stockley Park to the field of play. Like, what are the, what are the refs talking about and, and why did that not break their threshold or their criteria to send it down or all the way to Manchester? Yeah, so it comes down to that subjective analysis from a VAR and the assistant VAR, right, which is primarily an offside or an assistant referee on the field who's put into the booth as well. So your AVAR is having that communication. 
basically what the communication would have entailed for them not to think that this is a clear and obvious error to recommend down is that they feel like they're, they're to kind of a bit of Charlie's point, maybe they leaned a little bit more on the fact that the goalkeeper could see the flight of the ball the entire time, that there was no touch on it, not that's needed. Not that that is needed, but that could be the conversation that's happening, thinking that there's no true full impact hmm. uh, on the keeper on this play, and for them it didn't rise to the level of clear and obvious Crazy. error. That could be really the only conversation that's occurring in that booth. Um, Christina, I want to ask about the disallowed goal of Garnacho for the offside. Uh, in particular, what, what are those moments where, I mean, I know every goal gets checked, but what is that moment where you decide that the lines have to be drawn and the ref has to go uh, to, the, to the board if you do send them? At what point does that decision get made, and how do you decide exactly where that point of contact is? Yeah, so the first thing that we, as an assistant referee, or sorry, as a VAR, and here's the AR, you see they're properly lined up as much as possible. This is incredibly, incredibly tight, which is why we ask our ARs to keep the flags down so it can be checked by VAR if it goes into the back of the net. Here, as you can see, you've got the red lines and you got the blue lines. And when that moment is taken is when that ball is first kicked and touched by Gabriel's, uh, sorry, by the attacker teammate, right, that passes it through. That's where the VAR and the AVAR stop the, uh, essentially stop it. And you can do it by what we call frame per second, FPS, right? You can go back forward one, you can go back forward back, right? But you have to get that nailed down. And a reminder that in Premier League, there is no semi-automated offside technology like we have in Champions League and like we have in uh, Serie A. So here there is still a little bit in the sense that the VAR has to finally solidify that. So at that, that point, right, you saw right there, that's when they determined was the first, when the ball was first touched and played by the attacking teammates. And then that's when they drew the line. And this is actually accurate. It's very, very tight. Would semi-automated offside technology make it even more concrete? The answer is yes. But that's obviously a huge financial investment. So that's where the lines have to be drawn. It's really tight. And I do recommend people on social media, don't draw your own lines. I have seen some really <laughs> no, crazy lines out there. <laughs> with, with, on, on Instagram stories where you can grab the marker and, and draw your own lines and, and grab all the vertexes perfectly. Nah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sick of... A lot of people who failed high school math <laughs> trying to do these yeah, lines. I, I've got, Christina, we'll talk later over WhatsApp on long voice notes about my theory with frames per second and first point of contact. Uh, because you I'm can sure be, you're looking forward to that. You can be just <laughs> as you can have the minutia of all the frames per second on the first point of contact. You got to have the same on the other side where the runner is. So. But Christina, aren't, aren't there other angles that are accessible to the VAR but not maybe accessible to the monitor? And, and that's why sometimes plays can be recommended um, to, to the official. No, all angles that the VARs have exact same angles as the broadcaster has, um, essentially. So every single TV camera angle is exactly the same as the VAR has. So there's no hidden camera hiding around that only the VARs have access to. I just want to clarify <laughs> any of that controversy up. So, uh, Christina, I also wanted to ask you about uh, certain comments made by Mike Dean recently regarding a situation with uh, Cucureya and uh, that no call from last season where Cuti uh, Romero from Spurs pulled Cucureya's hair. Um, Anthony Taylor was not recommended to go to the monitor. Mike Dean had said that he didn't want to put his friend into another situation that would have been difficult for him um, in a game. And it just it felt like a sort of conflict of interest almost, not sending a colleague to the monitor when he should have clearly not only sent him to the monitor, but we all agreed in the moment, I remember, that it should have been a direct sending off. 
Yeah, and this is where words matter. Um, and I don't believe Mike Dean intended it how it was taken, and it was blown out of proportion in respect to what he meant by was essentially protecting his teammate or his colleague. Is at that point, if anyone can appreciate, remember the entirety of the game, is that he was sent to the monitor. Anthony Taylor, I think, had been sent to the monitor two times even before that. Not that that justifies not sending right. that down. In effect, you want to send those down because they are very clear and obvious, and it only supports and strengthens your teammate. I think where Mike Dean got into his own head in there is saying, I feel bad for Anthony Taylor because I've already sent him down to look at two what we call clear and obvious errors. So this official has already made what is determined as clear and obvious errors on the field. Now I'm going to be sending him down for a third clear and obvious error. So in his mind, Mike Dean at that moment might have been saying, hey, I want to help Anthony Taylor be able to manage this game and not make it seem like the game is completely out of his control because he's made three clear and obvious errors. Now, that doesn't justify that should have been sent down. That's one of those things that we have to remove out of our mind when you have your on-field official because it's very hard to appreciate hmm. that when you're on that field that you're getting sent down to the monitor each time that mental impact it's having on that official even though they should be saying this is just another tool you know initially when you start implementing var you know there's that mindset of saying i continue to mess up i continue to mess up and how is that going to affect the rest of their game that they still have to officiate so incorrect and mike dean acknowledges that he should have sent it down but that's effectively what he meant by saying he was protecting the mindset of his on-field official thinking that that would protect him and in, in essence the way he worded it and the way it's been taken out of context, um, it's been exploited to that extent. And that's why it's very important when there's individuals like us who are sitting on this side and trying to put our words together, we have to be very careful because it can be taken far, far left or far, far right and what it was intended. Christina, but it does feel like he's leaning more to something subjective in protecting a colleague when the right thing to do was to send him to the monitor because as a referee you need to be objective in those decisions. So in the moment, like, it, do you feel like it could have been an error in the moment? How do you, let's roll the clock back and he had said this the day after the game. Would there be any sort of reprimand on Mike Dean in the moment for not sending his colleague over to VAR? Yeah, and there was. We saw, a, you know, Mike Dean was essentially removed from his next level, uh, next level's games. He's no longer employed as a VAR for Premier League. You know, there are, you know, I know that's the number one thing I always get asked is like, what is the reprimand? You know, what are the repercussions? This person needs to be kicked out of the league. It's like, okay, if we kick everyone out of the league, there's going to be nobody in that league, let alone prepared for that. So there was in the sense of from an objective sense. You're right. I agree. Subjectively, that was the wrong. And in, when you get into that VAR booth, essentially you have to sterilize as much as you possibly hmm. can in that VAR. Are both mentally as well as how you are operating, and that's why those who are very uh, those who are very good at VAR are very objective in the sense that they can see more black and white, and they're able to be a little bit more, uh, you know, systematic when they're talking about the process and sticking to the process and not deviating from the process. And that's what happened here was he didn't stick to the process, and if he did so, it wouldn't be a talking point, and he wouldn't have been removed from his games last season uh, and taken away from those, and might have still been employed this year with Premier League. Uh, uh, as an on-field official with PGMO. Uh, Christine, I want to ask you about the situation with Eric Ten Hag being upset about the Hoyland no-call on the Gabriel Magalhaes, uh, potentially uh, a penalty. What are your thoughts on, on what you saw? And also, what are your thoughts on uh, when, a, when a coach or a manager comes out and speaks out against a call or non-call? 
So I'll, I'll address the play here first. Uh, when you take a look at it, upper body fouls are always difficult, but if you take a look at Gabriel once again involved in this play, his left arm, once he hooks it, that for me throws it into a preferred decision of a penalty on the field, and if not given for a VAR recommendation. Because when we're talking about upper body challenges, especially when they're penetrating into the box and you're going to have like that 50-50 shoulder challenge, right? If Gabriel had kept his arm, his left arm straight and kind of flat instead and creating more of a barrier instead of a hook, I would have said, let's let this go. We don't want a penalty for this. But once Gabriel hooked his arm, for me, then all of a sudden it goes away from shielding the ball to essentially truly grabbing and holding this individual through that hook. So the preferred decision penalty, VA recommendation, because you can see that and fully appreciate it based on that angle as opposed to the referee who's looking straight on and might not be able to fully see that hook, that should have been a recommendation down. Now going to your second point about a coach making comments as to this, you know, each league handles it differently with regard to allowing and not allowing majority air on the side of not allowing and providing you know fees and fines for those who speak out from it because essentially all that what a coach does when they break those down and I understand they're frustrated right you know what we as officials on the field are frustrated that you know that team didn't use those 89 minutes to put the ball in the back of the net and not make us a speaking point right so but we can't talk about that is that essentially coaches have this you know platform to be able to kind of bash an official um, and a visual isn't able to have that opportunity to speak out on behalf of themselves. They have to rely on the Premier League group or PGML to do so. But most importantly is at times, right, a lot of these teams and these coaches see things in a way that is more favored and biased towards them naturally, right, because that's the team they're advocating for. I know, you know, that's one thing we talked about. Mourinho, he uses the TV and the platform to basically throw faults against the referees all the time, and it's him versus the refs, right? But that is essentially breaking down the foundations of the neutrality of these judges it's making fans think that, you know, the game is being thrown, that it's being tossed, that people are being paid, right? It's undermining the ethics of the officiating position, which goes, and it's just a bigger systemic issue. So I don't like it when coaches do this. I think there's a there's already a platform, there's already a system in place for all of these leagues that when a coach has an issue with the play, that they go and they enact that system instead of bashing someone publicly on TV, because now you're undermining your league, you're undermining your officials, people are thinking the game's thrown. The beauty of sport is you show up to a game and you don't know who's going to win. If you think that it's being thrown in one way or another, you're going to have less people show up to these games. And then at the end of the day, it goes all the way down to grassroots football. The way the coaches treat the officials at the highest level at grassroots football, the parents and the spectators are treating these young youth referees on these games at that same level, and it's not correct. Preach, Christina Uncle. Let's go. Ooh. Christina, you have a whistle around uh, you? Um, I probably do somewhere. I, I want you, no, to, I want you to give me a final whistle, please. <laughs> I want, like, the full, the whole thing for next time. Like, you, like, do you want to do, like, the American way where I just do very static? No. World Cup final, final whistle is what I want to see. <laughs> It'd be like, dude, Amazing. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Christina, you Vinny. are you are the best. Uh, we really appreciate the time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. Thanks, all. <laughs> all right, guys, we are going to take a break. Uh, guess who's joining us when we come back? Take a guess. He's a friend of the show. He's been uh, on before. Oh, it's this guy. What a guy. Tim Marine. What a Tim guy. joins us after a quick timeout. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, we just chatted about Americans doing their thing abroad. And uh, this guy, Tim Ream, had a goal this weekend for Fulham. 
The result didn't go Fulham's way, however, but it was a nice goal from uh, the U.S. men's national team stalwart. And he is also a friend of the show, and we are very pleased to welcome him in once again. Make it, is this your third appearance on Morning Footy, Tim Ream? Third appearance, yeah. I mean, I'm a regular now. You really are. You're basically <laughs> you're basically a part of the fabric of the show now. Uh, before before we get into to soccer things, we were just looking at uh, your teammate Anthony Robinson is currently on his way to camp. You're in St. Louis now for camp with the U.S. Men's National Team, and apparently he is stuck in Chicago at the airport. Do you have any updates for us? What's going on? Uh, I, I don't. I, I saw that this morning when I woke up. Um, the only thing I can glean from that is either he's going to miss his flight or he does not have his bag, which either way is not, not a good situation. Oh. Not a good situation. Explain to me, though, you guys play for the same team. I would have imagined that you guys would go together stateside. HIPAA rules. Can't I can't I can't uh, devote. Okay, that fair, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> did did Pep Guardiola have any words for you after the match, considering you scored against his his city side? No, he's in Spain recovering from back surgery. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't get to didn't get to speak to him after that one. I'll tell you what though, I'm. Most lethal striker from from a half a yard out. Hey, <laughs> you know it's all about being at the right place at the right time, which which you were, and you know, like off a off a nice little little corner kick. That, how how good does it feel, you know, to to still be able to put the ball in the back of the net in those moments? Uh, I, I don't know. I still don't know how to celebrate goals. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not used to it. Uh, maybe maybe Charlie can can help me out with with uh, the celebrations, but. It's no, nice no, yeah, no, 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 no stanky leg. Like, could you imagine? I won't do the stanky leg. Like, Tim Ream twerking or doing the stanky leg or dropping it low. Well, why I got to twerk? Didn't you twerk and drop it low? Is that what you did back no, in the day? No, it's a pop lock and drop it. Pop lock and drop it, sorry. Oh, man, that's the sound of uh, Tim Ream's hips. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm old. Not at all. Tim would never say that. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> Pep did, but I would never. A hundred percent not. Um, Tim, before we get into the, the U.S. men's national team, let's chat a little bit about, about Fulham. A decent start to the season for you guys. You, you advance in the Carabao Cup after knocking out Tottenham in that PK shootout. How would you assess the first few games of the season for you guys? Um... Yeah, I'd say we we're doing okay. Um, probably not uh, as good of a start as as last season, but um, to have four points, four games, um, we've played you know Arsenal, City, um, Tottenham in the cup, like you said, um, not not a bad a bad position to be in. Um, performances can can be better, um, but it's it's uh, like you said, it's it's early. So there's there's a lot of things that that we can improve upon and um, continue to uh, to to get better as as the season progresses, but. Um, we're in a we're in an okay position. I'll, I'll say that we're we're not uh, we're not playing catch up, which is the the main thing. Tim, two questions. The first one's a quick one. How's the arm, by the way? It seems like uh, you're great still with the cast. Uh, no, there's no cast. It, it's oh. just a so I'm completely. Oh wow. Free. It's just a, a a scar, but it's it's just a protective kind of outer hard plastic case um, that I that I wear in training and, and games just to for a little bit of extra protection. But the yeah the arms arms. Pretty much um, completely healed. Um, no, no issues. No, no ill effects. No, nothing lingering. So, um, all good on that front. Nice. Happy to hear. The other question was about Holland and what makes it so difficult to defend against him, and why do you feel like he's the real deal? Um, I think 
what, what may well the hardest part is is that the, the players that he has around him um he he knows that he has to go to to one place and that's in front of the goal and and if he goes there then the, the ball's going to end up there um at, at some point for for him so um yeah i just think listen he's, he's got pace he's got power um and and that's difficult in 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 the game to to deal with and, and defend but when you have guys um, as as City does that that can put the ball wherever they want to put the ball and, hmm. and you know knows where to go and, and where they're going to put the ball, then it's it's a hard combination to uh, to defend against. And um, credit to him because he, he knows where to go. Like I said, he's he's a that type of striker that just knows to be in front of the goal and, and the ball's going to come. And um, when it comes his way, he's going to get chances after chances. And, and you know he's going to he's going to put at least one or two away. Uh, Tim, I want to ask about, obviously, you're back in camp. Uh, at this point, the elder statesman. I'm sure you've had, again, not calling you old, uh, I'm sure you've had a conversation with Berhalter. He's back uh, back in charge of the uh, men's national team. Have you gotten any inclination of anything new or anything different he wants to try? Um, yeah, we, to be completely honest, I had, had more of a conversation when we were in, um, when we were in Philadelphia um, and, and caught up there for the, for the first time face-to-face. And um, I, I, I don't know that there's anything new. I think there's, there's more just a, of a, a progression, um, you know, uh, things that he wants to do with, with the ball in, in terms of connections with, um, with the team, with, with the guys, um, creating, you know, smaller triangles and, and um, you know, having the ball and, and doing things with the ball. Um, again, we've only had had one training session, and that was to get the, all the junk out of everyone's legs after after flying from from all over the you know, all over Europe. And um, there were only ten of us in, um, so I think we'll have a better idea um, today, more tomorrow and Thursday of of what the what the the overall plan and, and goal is for. Um, for this camp, but but for the the camps coming in the, in the future. Tim, you missed the, the Nations League semifinals and finals, where I thought that was the best I've seen the U.S. men's national team look in, in a long time. Just in terms of the attacking half, attacking third, and Joe Reyna was a was a revelation in that number ten role. W- what does success look like in these upcoming friendlies for you guys? Uh, winning. Um, I think it's. It's important to to continue to win games. Um, you know that you, you get that feeling of of winning and winning and winning, and um, it just it, it snowballs. And and for us, it's it's going to be we we have to understand what what's being asked of us, of course. Um, what what the staff wants, what what Greg and, and BJ want, and um, at the same time, you know, adapting to to things that that happen in in a game because it's not going to go your way, um, you know, 100% of the time. So. I think uh, again, success is is making sure that we're doing um, and and performing on the on the field um, and, and doing the things that that they're asking um, us to do, um, which comes with with training and, and more sessions. But yeah, I just think at, at the end of the day, winning and and putting in more dominant displays with and without the ball, um, you know, I think is is important going forward um, and, and will be important for for these two games especially. Does it become a little bit more difficult when it's a lower caliber team with all due respect to Uzbekistan and Oman where you know you're going to be dominant on the ball where perhaps they're going to sit back more than you're used to because it felt like in, for example, World Cup qualifiers where teams kind of gave the U.S. the, the ball a little bit, it might have not looked as much as a dominant performance, say, against England at the World Cup where on paper England was a better team and then the U.S. showed up and balled. 
Um, uh, listen, I, I, I've maintained that, that all these games are difficult. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that, that, you know, X team or Y team should, should be less difficult there. They all have their own unique challenges. Um, they all bring a little bit of something different um, to, to the games, and, and we have to understand that. Um, I think, you know, when, when you play it at, you know, this level, at, at international level, games are always going to be going to be difficult. And, yeah, without a doubt, we, we in, in the last cycle, struggled against teams that, hmm. that sat back a little bit more. Um, that's that's no secret, and, and we have to, to understand, and, and I think that's part of part of having these these types of games is, is to understand where where we need to be better um, how to break those types of teams down um, and and it, it can be difficult I think difficult is probably not the best word frustrating um, when when you're on the ball and, and you're you know you're, you're getting to a certain point and then you're you know you're not creating those those clear-cut chances you're you're not creating the, the scoring chances and and you're you're not finishing um, the, the few chances that you may get so yeah it'll, it'll be It'll be, you know, interesting um, for us to, to see in game um, how we adapt to that and, and how we adjust and, and how we can break teams down and, uh, and score some goals. Uh, well, Tim, before we let you go, um, we know you're a St. Louis guy. You're in St. Louis now. You're going to get to play at the beautiful brand new City Park. St. Louis City is doing amazing things in, in Major League Soccer right now. How excited are you for this moment? And, and what does it mean to you as a, a native St. Louisian to be able to play on, in this beautiful, beautiful stadium uh, representing the U.S. men's national team? It's cool. I mean, obviously, as as a kid, we I didn't have a, a team to to you know a hometown team to to look up to. Um, you know, there was no professional um, outdoor uh, team that that we could strive and, and aspire to be a part of. Um, there was no soccer specific stadium to to play in. Um, so, I've I've had the opportunity to play twice here in St. Louis, um, albeit in a in a baseball stadium at, at Bush and. To, to come back here now, um, almost eight years later, since since the first time playing here, and, and having it be in in City Park, where listen, I've I've seen all all the you know the excitement. Um, I've seen it online. I've seen the, the how how great the, the fans are, how how good the team is doing, um, and and to to come here um, and have the opportunity to play in in the stadium is. Yeah, it's, it's just something that that you dream of as a kid, uh, and and to be able to do that now, um, as um, as an older player, um, you know, coming coming towards the the 2026 World Cup is is special. It's exciting and, and it's an opportunity that uh, you know I, I never never thought um, again as as a as a young as a young player would uh, would happen. But here we are. Here we are. How many family members are coming to this one? I've not had that many requests to be completely honest. What? Wow. Something. Yeah, I, th I think most have, have bought their bought their own tickets, which is um, I'm I'm a little bit surprised about. But I I think I've I'm up to about 15 right now. But I have a feeling over the next couple of days that's, I'll, that's I'll have decent. some some last minute requests. Does, does BJ have is BJ <laughs> a little bit more vocal now as the number two? <laughs> Uh, he is. You know what? He's he's always been vocal, but yeah, he's he's you know he's not uh, he's not shy. Um, <laughs> not, that's not how I did it. You know, a lot of that. <laughs> uh, Tim Ream, always uh, always great to chat with you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Come back anytime. You have an open invitation to come on Morning Footy. Lovely. Thanks for having me, everyone. Guys, thanks for watching. Have a fabulous Tuesday. We'll see you mañana.